Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Beer and Money. I am Ryan Burklow. And I'm Alex Collins. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about the top three financial concepts that you need to learn, we think, to be financially set up. Yeah, absolutely. And these, unfortunately, aren't necessarily taught. Uh, you, have to, you have to seek these out. And the more and more, you know, Alex and I work with, with people, it's these three concepts that we constantly have to go into and not necessarily explain, but show how you utilize these in personal finances because emotions get involved, different, different things that we were taught either from our parents or from someone else that may or may not be true today because of what was going on in the past, right? Like it used to be in this whole like pay off your debt and doesn't matter what kind of debt was out there. The mantra was pay off your debt. And the reason that came from came out was because of high interest rates, right? A mortgage was in double digit interest rates. Well, or the debt being callable. There were kind of a couple different reasons why you may want to get rid of debt, but it's debt just isn't quite as insidious today as it used to be. And a lot of that has to do with the interest rate environment. And don't get me wrong. We want to like one of the goals that we strive for is to live debt free. And at the same time, understanding how it works and when and why to use it is critical. So we'll discuss those top three financial concepts. But first, Alex, what are we, what are we drinking today? Uh, today, we are going to drink the autonomous IPA from 20 Corners Brewing here in Woodenville. Yeah, I mean... We drink a ton of IPAs on the show. Obviously, we're, we're in the Pacific Northwest. IPA is is a lot of what the Northwest is known for from a from a brewery from a brewing standpoint, right? The alcohol is seven point two on this beer, and the IBU is at seventy five. It's a solid beer, and like every other IPA that we've had, it has a different palate that you can taste right it, it this has if i'm not mistaken if i'm reading correctly here mosaic hops alex so how yeah. well i don't know how versed are you in, in hops what does that mean to you um well, so and there's a blend of hops that are that are inside of the autonomous um this has a good mix it's a it, it's a nice balanced ipa here it's uh it's not going to just absolutely kill you and bury you in in uh, hops and therefore the, the IBUs aren't off the charts at the same time, you know, you're drinking an IPA, but this is a nice, good balanced IPA. Yeah. So if you're in Woodenville or if you see the autonomous IPA anywhere, definitely try that out. It's definitely a solid IPA here in the Pacific Northwest. So Alex, getting into the, the topic at hand here, these top three financial concepts, these concepts, the reason we chose these three is they're the, the, they're the most common concepts that we, we talk about often. And even, even after we've brought on like a brand new client, it, it still gets spoken about throughout our relationship with the client, like year after year after year. And it's not that the client doesn't understand it. These just get woven into the sauce of life in terms of where priorities go, financially speaking. Absolutely. And these are just such base concepts that we have to constantly come back and talk about these concepts before we then go off and start digging into how certain aspects of these three different top financial concepts apply to their situation. And then we can go ahead and teach 
other concepts and build it into the overall plan. And so we keep coming back to these three. Let's like quickly just do a high level of the three and then we'll dig into them. Does that work? Yeah. So the, the first one's order of operations and we'll explain what we mean there. The second one is understanding the time value of money. And the third one is truly understanding how to do a comparative analysis. So jumping back up to the order of operations, let, let's talk about Alex. Let's, let's, let's explain what we mean by order of operations here. Sure. It, oftentimes when we first sit down with people, there is something that they really want to talk about, whether it's college planning or retirement planning or taxation or, or something that has become a hot button that has put them, uh, gotten them to the point where they're, they're actively seeking financial help. And we start talking about all of these other different concepts. And most of the time we're hearing, yep, we need to talk about that. Yep. We need to talk about that. Yep. We need to talk about that. And now we wind up with everything being tied for the top most important thing for us to address, whether it's buying a home, getting out of debt, saving for college, saving for uh, retirement, buying a rental property, buying a vacation property, protecting our income, all of these different things. And people then oftentimes look at us like, okay, how do I tackle all of this and what order? And so we wind up talking quite a bit about order of operations and why we address things in the way in which we do. So that order of operations, which we've done an episode on, but just as a reminder, the order of operations, step one is protecting our income, right? So if your income goes away or gets cut in half, or even if you lose 20% of your income, stop and think about, okay, what happens to lifestyle? Do you have the same lifestyle? Not at all. And so much of this is just protecting against the things that we can't come back and then address later. Yeah. These are your worst threats, right? If you were to get sued, it would be very, very hard to come back from that. Potentially. It depends on you know a bunch of different factors. But yeah, I mean, we, we need to make sure that someone is bulletproof before they start moving forward. So step number one, protecting our income. If our income is protected, right, moving on to step number two, then it's okay, focusing on savings rate, right? So what's the rate of savings that we suggest? We suggest saving between 15 and ideally 20% of your gross income. And if we're able to do that, to a large extent, it almost doesn't matter what else we do. That is like, if we accomplish step one and step two, protecting our income and then saving a proper amount, all of the rest of it becomes easy because we've just done the two hardest things, ensuring cash flow and ensuring savings. Yeah. And the hardest thing to get with that, like I'm sure many of you heard that 20% number and you might've did a quick calculation around how much you're saving. And, and oftentimes we see, a, at least in the Seattle area here, we see a number around 10%. Like that tends to be the average um, a person, the savings rate. And, you know, those are people that are making seven figures a year down to people making, you know, 70, $80,000 a year. And we're not suggesting that you get or you can get to 20% tomorrow after listening to this podcast. Oh, well, wait, the thing to do is just save 20%. Sure. I'll do that right now. Right. It, it's not magic, but I think that the, 
the school of thought around, I think finances, at least that's what I heard from my family was save 10%. You just need to save 10% and you're going to get 10% in the market and everything's going to work out magically. And it's just not true. Um, And the reason it's not true is like, maybe you do get the 10% in the market, but life doesn't happen in a linear fashion. And this is the key ingredient here. When you're saving money, do you ever take some of that money and maybe buy a house? That house is no longer an asset that you're typically going to draw down from in terms of income. It, it can, but that's not the ideal. Like normally when we sit down with people, they don't go, well, what I want to do is a reverse mortgage. <laughs> that's not their magical plan in general. So, and then other things in life occur, paying for your kid's education, going on vacations, life events that occur. So this 10% number with that rate of return, I think is, is a myth from the standpoint of life doesn't happen that way. Like you don't save 10% and never spend some of that money. And to that point, Ryan, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, I saved 10%. But then when we actually have the discussion, it's like, nope, we're, we're actually saving 5%. And then 5% is going over here to an account that we are spending within a one to three year time period. And so we're saving it to spend. Yep. Which takes us to, to number three of the order of operations. And this is, this is key. And so many people, I think, really overlook this, like how key it really is because of how life actually works. Right. And it's liquidity. And what we mean by liquidity is having access to money, right? Money in your 401k, for the most part, is not really accessible without taxing the penalties. And I know you analytics right now are going, wait a minute, Ryan and Alex, I can take a loan against my 401k. Absolutely, you can. What we mean by liquidity is we don't need to worry about the opinion of anybody else. We don't have to jump through hoops. We don't have to pay taxes. We don't have to pay a bunch of fees to access our money. So if we can go ahead and access our money with no downside, and not have to spend a month trying to get that money or pay fees or penalties or taxes to get access to it. That is what we're talking about when we talk about liquidity. And liquidity is, there's an there's a aspect of protection that's, that's in that, right? When you have access to funds, it protects you from, I don't know, the volatility of the market because you're not worried about the other money as much because you have access to money. It allows opportunity. When opportunity lands in your lap, it allows you to take advantage of that without taking money from the market, possibly, depending on where that money is invested. But like we, of what market you're talking about, whether it's the stock market, the bond market, the real estate market, whatever else, like it, it doesn't matter like we don't want the asset to be based on something that is opinion based meaning that we don't have control over what the value is well, and the end goal going back to that 10% with the market aspect that I was talking about 10% of a savings rate if you had liquidity if you had a pot of money that you did that you had access to readily easily and the other money you could actually save into 10% into that bucket and never have to touch it 
much easier to achieve that rate of return. Right. How life works out. It's a ton easier. Because one of the biggest detriments and one of the biggest things that holds people back is the timing of when and how they access money and what they do. And a lot of that winds up being psychological. And a lot of it is what you just described, Ryan, which is the timing of when we need to access funds. And like, if the kids are going to college, it's not as though we can just say, oh, hey, we'll pay that tuition bill in like two years when the market comes back. Yep. No, the tuition's due now. We might be able to get a loan and delay some of those decisions, but the like there's extra costs and things that are of that nature that are associated with going that route. Which takes us to step number four, and this is debt, right? So we we do believe you should pay off debt. We should just we believe though that you should pay off debt efficiently, right? High interest credit card debt, debt that's debt you typically don't want to carry. That's what we would call bad debt. Yeah. And, and if we're looking at a 10, 15, 20% or more on a credit card, yeah, it's going to be one of the first things that we actually tackle. Whereas your student loan or mortgage interest rate, right? Mortgages are sub three. That, that's inflation. We're not in a hurry to pay that off right now because the dollars can be used more efficiently and effectively. And we can tackle protecting our income, building savings, building liquidity, instead of paying down something that really is just almost a zero rate of return because of infl- uh, in zero real rate of return because of inflation. So imagine following these steps. And when you have a question like, oh, I wonder if I should buy a vacation property. Now you're in step two, right? Where you're saving money. Does that make sense based on, okay, are you doing step one through four, right? You can see how now these work into what actually becomes a true priority. Well, we can also then take it one step further and say, how is that going to impact each one of the different steps? Like, how is it going to impact our ability to save? Uh, How is it going to impact our liquidity? How is it going to impact any debt that we have? And all of these decisions wind up being interconnected how do they play out together as opposed to it being this siloed decision of, oh, hey, I want to buy a vacation home or a rental property or whatever else it is. So that, that's the first financial concept that we want to make sure really came across. And you can see we spent a decent amount of time on step one. There's a lot there. Absolutely. And step- we didn't cover all of it. No. Step two is time value of money, Alex. So why don't we define time value of money for for people uh, to begin with here? The basic concept of time value of money is that a dollar today has more utility than a dollar tomorrow. And if you don't believe in this concept, just ask your best friend, hey, can I borrow a hundred bucks? I'll give you a hundred bucks back in a year. And if they say, sure, ask for a thousand. (laughs) And just keep adding a zero until you get to the point where they no longer are willing to give you money to get exactly what you gave them back in a year. Like Ryan and I have done this a couple of times where I've said, Hey, Ryan, give me a hundred bucks. I'll give you back your hundred bucks in a year. And every time your response is, I want interest on that hundred bucks. Exactly. Because a dollar today has more value 
and use than a dollar a year from now. So that's the basic concept. Now, inside of that time value of money, everyone's numbers are going to look and work a little bit differently because it is based on your specific circumstance. Like the time value of money rate that Ryan and I have versus other clients versus like versus say an Elon Musk or, you know, any, any of the celebrities, like all of these numbers are a little bit different because it depends on circumstance and situation. And what Alex means by that is, you know, someone that, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to just be blunt here uh, and maybe I'll just get, you know, maybe someone will send us a nasty email here, Alex, someone that isn't taking care of their money will typically not ask for a higher interest rate. Yeah, maybe. Right. So if, if you're, if, if you're not taking care of your money and you don't have a, a savings program and you don't have assets, you might say, Oh yeah, I'll take one or 2% back on that. Whereas someone that has a portfolio of different businesses, like take a Mark Cuban or an Elon Musk that you brought up, what type of return are they getting on all the stuff that they're, that they do financially related, right? They're getting good returns. So if they were to lend money out, do you think that they're going to say, yeah, 1%, I'm good with that. Like that doesn't make any sense. Right. Take the, take the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, if you've got credit card debt at 20%, you're not going to be overly excited about lending money out and getting 5%. That's negative arbitrage. Like you're borrowing money at 20 and you're lending it out at five. Like the more that you borrow and lend, the worse your situation is going to be because you're losing 15% on every dollar that you have lent and borrowed. You're going to be way better off paying off your own debt. Which is interesting you bring that up. It's it. it you just did a step three, like real fast, which is comparative analysis, right? So what Alex just did is, okay, if I'm, he, he compared what to do with his money, right? And we do this all the time. Should I put money over here versus like, should I overpay on my mortgage or should I put it over here? And the basic thing that everyone misses here is that they're not comparing apples to apples. The mortgage example, typically what we see is we see somebody say, oh, 15-year versus 30-year mortgage. And they're looking at the amount of interest that's saved on a 15-year mortgage versus a 30-year mortgage. And while a 15-year mortgage may wind up being better, the proper way to do the analysis is to have the same inputs. And so if one mortgage costs you three grand a month and the other mortgage costs you two grand a month, unless you figure out where you're putting that other grand and account for it, is it really shocking that the plan that you're putting three grand into beats the plan that you're putting two grand into? It shouldn't be. And at the same time, we're not trained at all on how to do proper comparative analysis. So the key here is making sure that we have the inputs kept as similar as possible. And then we're using our own personal time value of money from step two rate to 
evaluate the difference. And the answer for Ryan is entirely possible that it's going to be different than the answer for Alex because we have different things going on. And so like we've got different liquidity, we've got different savings, we've got different rates of return, like everything is different and it has to be done for an individual. So if you combine, if you combine these three steps and going back to our initial conversation around like what we've learned, you know, financially related from school, what's on our mind in terms of priority, right? Alex mentioned like, oh, well, kids education, buying a vacation house, buying an investment property, planning for retirement, all of those things can feel like number one priority. Well, think about what we just went through in terms of those three concepts and how all three of those should be utilized in really evaluating how that goes. Now, what I'm concerned about, Alex, is we just went through those three concepts and I'm sure some people are like, wow, that that all makes sense. And how do I do it? Those advisors make it really difficult to understand. And it, we can, you can simplify it. it. It actually is really, it's easy to simplify once you understand those concepts. And that's the key piece, I think, that, that most people are missing. Yeah, trying to figure out how to break this down into a base level concept that we can understand and then stacking those concepts on each other to get to the point where we can make complex financial decisions, but do so in a systematic and easy to understand methodology. 100%. Which takes us to the question of the day, Alex. So our question today is really looking back over this entire podcast. Uh, what episode are we here, Ryan? 125, 130? Something like that. Somewhere in that neighborhood. What we're trying to figure out is what is it that you guys have had as your biggest takeaway from listening to us? What would you really want us to keep doing? What do you want us to change? And what topics are you looking for us to address next? So head over to beerandmoney.net. And at the bottom of the page, there's a spot for you to answer that question of the day. For, for our listeners that have been listening for a long time, I'm going to ask you to, to respond to that question. We, we want to hear from you. What is it you're liking about our podcast? And what is it you're not liking? Because we want to make sure that these episodes are valuable. We're getting a ton of feedback around them being valuable. We want to make them that much more. So head over there and there's a way to engage with us from that standpoint. As always, we hope this particular episode got you thinking and got you thinking about your money and your circumstance so that you can build the life that you want. And as always, Mr. Collins. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as health, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or quantified financial partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian and subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. 
Bryant and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 333 North Indian Hill Boulevard, Claremont, California 91711. Telephone 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, number FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burklow AR Insurance License Number 15319412, CA Insurance License Number 0K24924. Alexander Collins AR Insurance License Number 7264699, CA Insurance License Number 0H24806. Pinpoint number 2021-127805, expiration October 2023.